And hello, loyal listeners, to another week of Taisha Records there. <laughs> what do we record? What do we record, Aisha? We record all great things. We talk about current events. We talk about um, things pertaining to life, culture, storytelling, things that are just going to uplift, encourage, and also get people to think, you know, get their brain jiggling. So we're all, we're, we're very original and we're very versatile up in here. What's up, people? <laughs> there you go. And as you know, these are bonus episodes that we're coming at you with connecting storytelling to everyday issues, things that we're right. feeling, we're living through, the experiences, the joys, the celebrations, the lows, the highs of life. Um, yeah. I'm Ty, founder of Listen for a Change. I'm here with Aisha Trip with two P's, that is. <laughs> like how I said that. <laughs> Part of a Listen for a Change as well as a board member, story coach, and um, our resident Oakland MC when we go back to live story hours. You so know, one of these days time. we're going to, we don't, we won't have even have to introduce ourselves anymore. I can't wait for that day. But right now we still need to tell people who we are. But at some what? point, people are going to hear Taisha and they're going to be like, oh my God, it's Ty plus Aisha. That's true. We can get there. But I always think there's nothing wrong with still introducing yourself. I mean, you at least in my mind, you just never know who you co- may come across. And I don't always want to assume that everybody will know. You were just saying that earlier. We can't assume around like everybody knows who Luther Vandross is, even though who doesn't. Wait. But if you don't, look him up. But like, <laughs> you, you can't reveal that we have like a pre-podcast conversation. But oh, we they do. Already know it. Yeah, we have a pre, and you know what? It's actually nothing related to what we end up recording about anyway. But it's usually just us catching up on the deets that we don't want to actually say in a recording. It's usually yeah. personal stuff. Yeah, you know, which I think, I think is important. It is important because we do have personal lives, and I do. I think we are really good with finding a good balance between still offering our personal insights when not giving too much of our own private lives to the public, if that makes sense. And I, it I, does. I think, yeah. You, but, okay. So I do appreciate the people who are, you know, like some people, you know, the Chrissy Teigens of the world, who okay. it feels like they give you everything. But do they? Like what you see. I know. Well, do they? <laughs> of course. You're not going to see everything. But like the the extent to which they reveal on social media, on podcasts on tv and their music and their art is so like intimate and so just current that you're like i feel like i know chrissy Teigen and john legend you know it's interesting because like you know thinking about this whole kind of a uh, dynamic between the public and the private and what people are willing to share what they're not and then even what you're bringing up right now like how some celebrities or figures can open up the world. Like, this is my life. This is what I do. And it can create this sense of like, I know them. I see how that can start to develop in one's mind. But in my mind, I'm like, "Mm, no, just because I know to a certain degree, you can still cut, copy and paste and have some type of control over what type of image you want to present, especially mm. in the social media world. Now, we were going back to the 1998 days where it was MTV and remember Diary? Remember Diary? You're, you're drawing a blank. You don't remember Diary? Yes, you do. I, I know you, you know do. what? I stopped watching MTV oh, okay. when it became like TRL. Oh, okay. And that was around the late 90s. I, I am a little bit older okay. than you. And I think that's when I realized oh, by that- a year. <laughs> 
those are critical years. Like TRL is not cool when you're 25. Not that I was 25, but (laughs) it was cool when you were 13, right? So there's like some critical years there where Total Request Live is like the it thing. And then if you just aged out of it, you were like, ugh. Britney well, Spears, I don't know. Man. Maybe maybe you felt overwhelmed by all the like in sync and BSB and all that stuff. I'm still waiting yeah. for that versus battle. But B- in any B2K. case, B2K. Oh, B2K. Oh my god. Don't Mariana. you forget B2K. That was Mariana. The- come to listen for a change. We want you to be our keynote speaker. <laughs> Tell your story. Put a plug in. But no, I bring up the, there okay, was a show. Diary. Yeah, I bring up a show um, on MTV called Diary, and basically it was an hour long show where a camera crew would follow your favorite celebrity and you would get to get like, see a glimpse into their life. Okay. And this yes. Prior to Instagram, it was like everything. The one I remember in particular was watching Aaliyah's diary mm. and feeling so like, Oh my gosh, Aaliyah. Like we're seeing her like, you know, going to meet and greet. She's like yeah. talking to the camera. They have like these confessionals. I appreciate those days where it didn't feel so invasive. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like maybe this is just my opinion. I'm not saying it's like wrong to put your whole life out there, but it's just, there's, I don't know the element of surprise. I feel like it's not as like, it's not as prevalent anymore because everything is so open now right. with like, you know, so it doesn't feel as like as special sometimes. Not but at always. the same time, I feel like, so before the narrative was only controlled by what the media chose to feature about you, right? And Very like true. the paparazzi and media, that's been a thing since the beginning of yay time. Um, and it, you know, we saw the destructive consequences of that in relation to Princess Diana, in relation to Michael Jackson, in relation to, you know, like OJ Simpson, like all of these celebrities, they weren't able to control their own narrative. And so there is this element of social media allowing celebrities Mm -hmm. to control their narrative now but you're right at the same time there is power that is vested within them and with that power they can now be the ones who shape their image their brand their identity and why even go to celebrities right influencers people who aren't influencers people like you and i like we we control what the internet sees about us for better or worse and i think that there's a lot there's a lot of power in that. And then there's a lot of just, just yeah. new questions that arise. I think to me, you're right in that aspect in terms of like the amount of agency it can now provide not only to celebrities, but to all people. But to me, it also just brings up like the question, like when you somebody, when you mentioned it brings up questions, the question that comes to my mind is to what extent do we need to expose ourselves and for what cause and what's the purpose? That's like what I start to think about. And then also too, what does moderation look like? Cause mm. I, I just personally think like things are just overly saturated. And even though you do, you can control your um, Instagram, it still doesn't take away that people can still spin a narrative too. That still happens. If anything, now everybody thinks they know everything. True. I don't know. It's true. Just, You're right. Like, in addition to you being able to have agency over your story, your brand, your identity, now the mass of people have power over your name, your reputation, your identity. Yeah. Enter cancel culture, right? Ugh. Like, Ugh. that is that is the other side of it, where 
it can get out of control. It can get out of hand. And now the media isn't just paparazzi. It isn't just Access Hollywood or the 10 o'clock news. It is everybody and their Twitter, everybody <laughs> and their Instagram. Yeah. And they're, and they're, we're all vying for, I'm not going to say they, we yeah. are all vying for internet space and internet bandwidth and internet attention. And unfortunately, what gathers attention is spectacle, is controversy, is jumping on the the hashtags and the Mm. trendings and the bandwagons and the memes. Yeah. And you know, just for me personally, and I think this is just where I'm at in my own just personal walk in life, I've just learned I have to take all of that in doses. I mean, even after receiving the verdict today, and I know we were going to, you know, we're going to, well, we're, now we're kind of going into it, but the verdict of um, the uh, George Floyd trial and um, receiving this guilty verdict um, that Derek Chauvin um, is guilty on all three charges. And I already knew, you know, as soon as it happens, everybody, I can, you go straight to your social media and you already know, this, you already know who are the people that are going to say something you already know where to go. Like there, there's going to be that, that flood, right? Which is completely fine, completely normal. Let people express, let people get it off their chest. That's, I'm not knocking that at all. But um, what I've realized for me is I have to take it in doses because I start to feel overwhelmed mm-hmm. because with like George Floyd today, right? Um, there was a quote that, let me pull it up really quick. Um, just so we can share it with everybody um, that I saw that stated, this is not justice. This is accountability. Chauvin is where we start. The whole system is next. And I had to take a break from everything that I was seeing to just reflect not only on this case, but the cases before. And Mm -hmm. I thought back to um, Oscar Grant and that trial and how yeah. that was on camera with him being shot on his back at Fruitvale Station and how yeah. Johannes Meserly received a not guilty charge. Right. And so I just started thinking about all the other previous people who have been killed, who did not receive any type of accountability, any type of justice. Mm-hmm. And it's not to negate what happened today because it is historical and it is important but it's so much to deal with. There's so many emotions. And so for me, I have to pull away from the screen and I have to take time for myself and I have to connect with those that I love, let it be over the phone, face to face on a more human level because the screen for me starts to deplete me. But I know for everybody else it's different, but that's just something I've realized for me. And that's why I pick and choose my moments on the internet but um, today is very historical for a number of different reasons. And there are a lot of different emotions going on right now. So yeah. I don't know like, what, you're, what you're thinking and feeling at this moment. Uh, you know, I woke up today thinking that you and I were going to talk about Luther Vandross's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and how we Google changed will. their logo. We still will. But we Google changed will. their logo to Luther and... Like that, we even texted each other early in the day, and we were like at the same time. By the mm-hmm. way, you and I sent out of the blue. We weren't even talking to each other. We <laughs> sent an instant text separately, 
to each other with the google.com link. But we'll get to that. I woke up today not even thinking that this was going to uh, I I don't know if the, if it was going to happen, I didn't know about it that the mm-hmm. a verdict was reached. Right? And so I found out midday and I was actually teaching a class. My class was beginning when this mm-hmm. uh when the verdict was announced. And I had it streaming on. So we're hybrid right now. So we had, I had two students in person and then the rest of the class was at home. And I was like, you know, I remember when I was in middle school and we Mm -hmm. sat in my biology class and we streamed the OJ trial. Oh yeah. I remember that. I had a flashback to that moment. And now I was in the position of the teacher and I felt this, I, I personally, I was in turmoil for like the two hours leading up to it. Mm-hmm. And even afterwards, I was nervous. I was on edge. I wasn't sure what to think. I couldn't function. I couldn't do any sort of meaningful work. Um, and then when, when it finally was being broadcasted and I was streaming it on CNN, I was thinking to myself, I'm now in that position of that teacher back then when I was in seventh grade. I don't even know if it was seventh grade, but whenever that OJ trial was for me, I'm now in that position where I have 20 captivated students and I can choose to talk about this. I can choose how to talk about it. I can choose to engage them, to listen to them. This is a moment they will remember just like I now, however many decades later, remember exactly where I was when that OJ Simpson trial was happening. And so it was, it was interesting for me to kind of sit through that. And I, I really appreciate you reading that quote and I hadn't heard of it, but I think that it very succinctly sums up how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, one student. So afterwards we had about 30 minutes of debriefing. I had the students share all sorts of, you know, I, I mostly wanted to listen. I wanted to hear what their generation thinks because that is, that's kind of an enigma to me. Like I, I teach them and I teach them not social justice related. Like that's not the class I teach. Sometimes it shows up, but I don't always get to hear what they think. And I don't always get to, I don't know how plugged in necessarily this new generation is. And they are plugged in. Yeah. Let me tell you, at least the students I had in my class. And so one of the students mentioned like I I feel so happy. She's a sophomore. Um, I feel like there's justice. And I still, I had a lump in my throat. I had a pit feeling in my stomach still, because you're right. Justice hasn't necessarily, it hasn't been served. You know, other than this trial. Yeah. It's, it's the beginning of something. It is a step. It is an incident. It is a moment in time, but justice isn't to this one moment in time. The justice yeah. that we're talking about isn't to the death of George Floyd. Yes. Yes. And, you know, Sean King, you know, who's an activist, I tuned into his live like a little bit after the verdict. And I think he said it too. You know, he mentioned this is a piece of justice, but not full. And he brought up, you know, before OJ, because OJ, it's not on the, it's not the same. That's a whole other it's conversation. Not. But right. we can bring up Rodney King. Now, I remember Rodney King because I believe I was in the first grade and I remember, yeah, I remember, um, I remember I have a memory of my dad crying after the verdict being read Mm. 
Mm. I have a memory of um, watching the news reports with my family and seeing L.A. on fire. Mm. I also remember the episode of A Different World, a show back in the 90s about Black college life and how they made an effort to do an episode about the Rodney King riots, which led to them being canceled. There's a whole history behind that. Some Black history for y'all. But, and I think if I had to make a bold statement for most Black people, I can't say all, but I would make a bold statement right now that I feel like a lot of Black people right now, like after hearing that verdict, it was just like, oh, because people were afraid to have hope. People like, America, you ain't going to do right by us. You ain't never done right by us. How shitty is that though, right? Like something that is so, you know, no pun intended, but black and white. It was so clear, so clear to anyone who witnessed it or even didn't have to witness it. And that's the thing. Like there's been so many other clear incidents that took place. And it's just to me. Yeah. And so it's like, yes. So that's why I feel like that quote is, it really does sum it up. Like, yes, you held him accountable and we are happy for that. And we are going to, you know, give all the honor and give all the praise and we'll give all the prayers for George Floyd and his family and the direct people that knew him and the direct people that were impacted by that. Not just for the people who are just, you know, who who are like indirectly impacted, but the people who really are now missing their father, their friend and their brother. But on a collective end, in my opinion, you still just feel like, ugh, because it just brings up everybody else and so you're just kind of waiting as we make this next turn to be like, so what, so what does this really mean? Because it even takes me back to like when Obama got elected, right? Everybody's like, oh, we got a black president. We got a black president. That didn't mean nothing. I mean, it meant something for optics, but that didn't really mean nothing for the movement and the people. I'm, I'm just, I mean, I'm being blunt there. I'm, I'm just Please it. be blunt, so, be blunt. But I, I am happy for the accountability. And I will say this too. I saw... Um, one of the educators from Rio Vista, the elementary school I went mm. to, shout out to Miss Myers, a black woman. Um, she wrote on her status. She was like, today, I am not only happy that justice was served, but she was like, I'm happy for my future grandkids and great grandkids that they wow. will have a better future to look forward to. And that's that stuck out to me because I think back to Emmett Till. And his family oh, is still 100%. fighting for justice, right? And my grandmother's family is from the same area that Emmett Till is from. And so my grandmother, wow. who is gone, she couldn't live. Chicago. Um, no, down in um, where he went. Oh, to down in the South, Mississippi. Mississippi. Yeah. yeah. Mm, okay. he was up in Chicago, but he went to visit his family down in Mississippi. Right, right. And so I'm thinking about the ancestors before us, right, who aren't here today to see what happened but because they did fight and they put in that work, we can see this, right? So to me, it makes me think about it is still worth fighting. It is still worth, you know, um, speaking out against because if this happened, we can still move forward. It's just going to take a lot. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. A you lot. know, so it's, it's funny. <laughs> Say that a one lot. more time. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Aisha's voice is going. And so I probably shouldn't. Yeah. After screaming things over no, and over again. We're talking about passionate things here. I know. You know, it's, so it's interesting you brought up Emmett Till. So um, as you know, Aisha, my my teaching gig is photography. I teach mm-hmm. photography at a high school. 
And at the beginning of the year, we had a unit on social justice storytelling. I don't know why I thought of that unit, you know, maybe <laughs> listen for a change. But mm-hmm. we had this unit and it was in the context of photography. And I showed the class. I don't know. Have you seen the photo of Emmett Till? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't want to assume that you know, everyone's seen it, although we'll, we'll go into it and how his mom actually intended for everyone to see it. But I showed the photo in class. I was very unsure if Mm. I was going to get in trouble for showing this photo because it is grotesque. It is grotesque. And you know, you just don't know these days. I just don't know with getting in trouble with things being public, things being recorded. We were on Zoom. I was just unsure. And it kind of sucked that I had to think twice about showing something that was a very important piece of history and something that his mom wanted everyone to see. So the story is, is that his mom hired a photographer to come that day to Emmett Till's funeral and to photograph Emmett Till's body and to publish that, his, his, deformed, you know, like deceased body at his funeral and juxtapose that with the picture of Emmett Till when he was alive. Um, So his mom very intentionally wanted the world to see that here was a young, beautiful, handsome, educated, whatever, right? Like whatever history he had, but it was, it was a child to somebody. And this is now, this is now, what that person looks like. And I think of that in the context. We, so we talked about visual storytelling and the, the importance of the advent, the invention of the camera and film in changing how people engage with social justice and how people show up and are aware and feel and experience the stories of people who are often unseen and unheard. And Emmett Till is one of the early examples where people saw that photo published in the newspaper and it flipped a switch for many people. Unfortunately, that's what it took. But many people, it took for them to see that, for them to actually understand what I'm sure a lot of Black people and a lot of Black mothers have understood since the beginning of time. And it sucks that decades and decades and decades later, we still it still took the video of George Floyd for this to have the impact that it did on the American populace. Let's talk about how if that, that teenager, I believe, had she not been standing there and recording that with such a steady hand, with such calmness, and kept that, and then published the video, what, what if, what of? Who knows? Because, I mean, there's a video, like I said, of, uh, they have video of uh, Oscar Grant being shot in his back. You mentioned the picture of Emmett Till, right? And and I'm I'm I understand. Just want to respond to your uh, nervous energy you had around showing that because in today's culture, I understand that you have to be more mindful. You of those just things. never know. Yeah. But the interesting thing, and what I would push, and what I'm not afraid to say, is that we need to show those photos. We need to tell those stories because it is American history. And I mentioned this book to you before. The 100 years of lynching, because it's interesting because, yes, the Emmett Till photo was put out there on a media platform to get other people involved. But the history of America is lynchings were happening. They were on postcards. Exactly. So 
there were people out there that would publicly have public lynchings, have picnics, food, take pictures, and then send it out to their family and friends. So I think it's important to name that there was a group of people back in the 50s who saw that Emmett Till photo and were, you know, shocked and moved by it. And there was also a group of people that were just like, yeah, we know about that because we do that. The same way when you watch the George Floyd video, I would say the same today. There's a group of people that are like, oh my God, I can't believe that. And then there's another group of people that are like, yeah, we know about that. And then there's the other group of people that are like, yeah, and we did that. And we, and we're proud of that, but they don't want to say that because that shows America's ugly past, but that's our truth. And until we start acknowledging that, then this this stuff's just going to keep repeating itself. So I don't know how to answer the question around if if they had not um, videotaped it, because I really don't know why now they, because it's been on video before they beat Rodney King's ass on video. They shot Oscar Grant in the back on video. They shot Philando Castile on video. Right. (laughs) So it's not like the video is like this new thing I, I don't really know what makes it different now. Maybe besides that they have more. Let me stop. I don't think I should say that right now. I'll, I'll hold. That. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Aisha, I miss I miss the drinking you. I'm drinking water today. <laughs> I know because the drinking Aisha would have let whatever beautiful nuggets slip out in an ether, and then we may or may not have had to edit that out. <laughs> I actually I don't, don't know, know what you're going to say. I don't know, but I I'm I am. I am thankful. I'm, and the reason why I'm thankful, aside from America, aside from the system, I'm thankful for, because uh, because I'm thinking of George Floyd as the human and the yeah. people that know him and his family, because those are the ones who are going to be affected by it the most. Because yeah. I'm like, what if that was my brother or my dad? You know, so I'm just thankful for that family. They were able to at least get a sense of accountability, but they're never going to get George back, which right. is that's, that's the true justice when we don't even have to discuss this at all anymore. That's when right. justice will happen. Yeah. I mean, you think of also like the death of George Floyd being the media media spectacle and the piece of history that it is. And while there is a sense of like, yeah, like I'm, I'm sure to some extent they, they are, I don't even know how to put this into words, but that like, that their brother's death is not in vain, that their son's death is not in vain, right? That there is a sense of recognition of the importance of this being a part of history. There is now forever for that family, not only individual, but collective trauma that will never go away. Yep, They will always live with George Floyd being named after things, being a martyr, being the death of their family member, their loved one, their friend, their father, whoever it is, right, will always be linked to this really, and it, they'll they'll never, you know, and not that there's any sort of timeline or process to grieving that like we just, you know, yeah. it takes two years and you're over it, but they will never be able to divorce that from this. Mm, that's a very, yeah, that's a very true point. And it's really, you know, also to, you know, around this, the, the, the conversation we're having around pictures and videos, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword in the way that it allows it to not be forgotten and to call out what happened. But then the other side to it is it's another way to relive the trauma 
depending right. on like one, the direct family members, because I personally would not want to watch that video. I, I, I didn't watch the George Floyd video until today. I made. Um, oh, my God. Because you the saw last it for the first time today, I did today because um, I made a promise to myself. I think it was back like in 2014 that I was not going to participate in watching in the killing of like just black bodies anymore yeah. for my own mental peace. Um, yeah. Cause it started to just numb me and it just enraged me too. And I watched it today and I was just like, the fuck, <laughs> like, you know? And so Say all, and that's like the lack of better terms I could just say, at least for right now. And I know there's been a lot of different responses, obviously. Um, but you know, yes, the point I was just trying to make is the videos, the images serve to call out, serve to remember, but they also can serve to re traumatize those who are close to that person, a hundred percent as a group, because it's just it's a horrible image to have in your brain, right? Yeah. It's, it is. And like, that's one of many, you know, we talk about the importance of visual storytelling, this like invention of the camera, the invention of the smartphone and being able to have a camera in your hand that you can literally flip on within the flick of an instant and start recording anything. And there's so many advantages to that. And there's so many things like all of the, you know, like Rodney King, if there wasn't that man that day with his professional camera recording that would have gone and left our psyche as the American people. But nowadays we can record things with such instantaneous, you know, like uh, quickness. And you're right that it comes along with this foreverness. There's a permanence to it now too, that these videos, once they're uploaded and shared on the internets, are forever in circulation. And while we're on that, I'm actually curious to hear what you think about, I, what do you think about the sharing of these types of images, this type of media, the George Floyd video, to take one example, the, you know, the shooting of Philando Castile, the, the, I mean, I could go on, right? But like also even things unrelated to yeah. Black Lives, like watching the 9-11 video, over yeah. and over again. They actually put a pause to that. I don't know if you remember back then. Oh, I didn't know about that. No. Yeah. Um, in relation to, you know, people who are being, you know, killed uh, by the police, my opinion is out of respect for the family, um, I would say leave it up to the discretion of the family if they want to have that video disclosed or not. That That's my take on something like that um, because... Yeah, I just I just think um cuz like for us we we know these people in a figurative stance of like what you said what they represent, what they're connected to, but we didn't have conversations with these people. We didn't know them day in and day out. And so I would just respect the wishes of what the family wants to do. And maybe the family's like, "No, yes, put it out there cuz we want people to see what happened." Or maybe the family's like, "No, we want to just We'll let people know, but we don't want to have that out there reliving itself out there. So I would say yeah. it's up to the wish of the family. And then in terms of like just the instantaneous, you know, video, uh, video recording of the culture, 
you know, it, it's a double-edged sword. You know, people now record when fights happen. You know, back when in middle school, if you had a fight, you know, it happened in the back of the school. You had to go through it, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Wait, fight, do we you do know? we need to hear about an Aisha moment where? <laughs> True or false, Aisha got in a fight in middle school in the back of a whatever. I got into a fight in school, but it wasn't in the back of the gym. I got into a fight in sixth grade outside of math class with this boy who kept bothering me. It was a whole story. (laughs) What's his name? Wait, we we don't want to put him on. Oh, wait. Okay. So you did say his name. I did say his name. What was it about? He just always bothered me. I think he kind of had like a crush or something. He was like this little white boy. He would always just bother oh me, pick God. on me. And one day I just took enough, like he pushed the back of my neck and I just took off swinging mm-hmm. on him. So, right, yeah, Wait, so this wasn't like an official fight. It wasn't like, hey, yo, like Aisha is no. meeting up with yo and yo and they're going to box in the blank no, after school. No, it was the- just a reaction and all okay. that. But those type of things did happen too. So-and-so is going to fight so-and-so. Can you imagine so-and-so. that was recorded? And it, and it happens now. And so now kids have oh, to be 100%. They stage this shit. Yeah, like go on World Star, all that type of stuff. And so there is something to explore. To me, it's not a black or white answer because, like we said, these tools can serve for evidence. They can call things out. But then they also can just kind of serve as a distraction because there's also videos of like people who may have been attacked. And they're used to, I mean, everybody's different with that instinct, but some people instinctually jump in. Others, they'll call the police or now it's pick up your phone or you may pick up your phone to record it to like as evidence, but some people may record it for entertainment. Yeah. So, cause I mean, I remember even enough, well, I'll bring up this fight too, that happened in freshman year of uh, high school. At a, anyway, long story short, this girl on a neighboring uh, soccer team got jumped and she was a friend and the girls who jumped her, I knew them too. And me and another friend jumped in to br- break it up because it, you know, it was just, and it was instinctual. You see someone getting jumped. You're like, Hey, no, don't do that. You you got a problem with someone square up one to one. Don't jump people. I don't, that's not right to me, but in today's culture, cause we didn't have cell phones. There probably could have been somebody that would have recorded it. So oh, yeah. Yeah, so I don't, it's to me, it's not black or white, but it is something to explore. And there should be some ethics discussions around what does it mean to use your phone when something problematic is happening? Because maybe yeah. you can't use your phone or maybe you can step in. Maybe. Right. I'm not saying that's what you should always do. So I don't want to make it so black and white. I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are, though. Well, you know, I, I think it's tough and I think we're just figuring this out, right? The internet, let, let's, let us remind ourselves that the iPhone came out less than 15 years ago. True that. Right? And even the first iPhone, I don't even know if they, they probably had video capability, but very it rudimentary. Camera. It was 2008 when the first one came out with the, yeah. and it had a camera. And, yeah. and it did have a camera. And so I think that we're still figuring this out as a society, right. as a government, as a people, we're mm. still, you know, we're still creating rules on what's right and wrong. There are no laws. There mm. is no regulation on it right now. But what if somebody like recording is a tough thing because it isn't the same as intervening with somebody who's dying, right? Like there might be negligence that you could be charged with if you saw somebody was dying and you just stood by and you had the opportunity to help there, there is involuntary whateverness, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't know that there is something like that for capturing video evidence. 
And I don't know that there will be, but I do agree with you that I do think that there needs to be some sort of regulation over how videos are used and distributed. And I don't think that there is a, even like a cultural agreement on Mm. that right now. So like say the video of George Floyd, I remember right after it happened, it was at least on my feed, it was being shared. It was easy for me to find. Let's just put it that way. I didn't have to go hunting for it. Mm-mm. And I was notified of it and people were telling me about it. And there is yeah. something to be said about reliving trauma time and yeah. time again. And it isn't it just, happens. we have to remember, it's not just the, the friends and family of George Floyd and people yeah. who were shot and killed or even hurt or whatever. It is the people who identify with that community yep. living through exactly. that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because exactly. I'm sure when you saw that video today, you weren't thinking of an individual. You were thinking of a group of people. You were thinking of a system. You were thinking of a pattern. I mean, I was, well, for me, I, I, when I see things like that, I think of my brother. I think of my dad. Mm. I think I, I know, and I know people, and I myself too, most people, everybody has a story with the cops. My dad, who is a royal respected black man, you know, we could talk about respectability politics, right? My dad, who is, who was an um, electronic technician, educated, articulate black man, studied physics, all that. He's been harassed by the cops. Mm. So you hear these stories growing up. There's stories out, and that's the other thing too, the stories of people who did not die, but got their ass beat by the cops who got mm. harassed and bullied by the cops, who got intimidated by the cops. Those stories happen too. So there's, there's levels to the trauma. So when I see a video like that, I just think of the people in my life. And that's what makes me think about their families. But you're right ar- mm. around like it does connect to a collective. And there, that's why there's so many different emotions. And that's why we're all just like, Ugh. all of us, I don't care who you are to some degree, you're affected by it. Seeing that affects you. I don't know how, but it does. <laughs> On levels. Yeah. And, you know, again, I, I just want to go back to the the point that I made earlier with regards to Emmett Till, mm. that it is related to storytelling. And it is a fine line between storytelling um, to get someone's voice heard and someone's story out there and to yes. impact people and to open up hearts and minds where they otherwise would not have that same visceral experience without and also, and also reliving trauma and yeah. spreading trauma and keeping Ooh. trauma around and alive. And it's, it's, you know, with George Floyd, I unfortunately, so, you know, remember before when you said you don't know what it would be like if, you know, like if, if they hadn't recorded this or, well, what you said was that there have been other recordings and nothing has happened with Rodney King, with Oscar Grant, so on and so forth. But I do think that without the recording, in the absence of any of these recordings, the like whatever, you know, like we, we mm-hmm. know that the, the verdict for Rodney King and the verdict for Oscar Grant was not the same as today. But without the recording, that is 100% guaranteed that there would have been no justice in that case. There would have been no accountability in that case. A hundred percent. There would have been no hope. 
And see, that's something to explore too, because I think that goes back to my point, because I wrote a paper back in grad school on um, the, Johann- the Johannes Messerly trial, and mm. they, they did a support rally for him in Walnut Creek, California, okay? We're going to have a whole conversation about, we need to talk about this on the podcast. Like, it's, I mean, it's very close to home for us. aren't racist? No. No, they're in your Wait. backyard too. But Can anyway. we talk about, hold on, oh, hold on, hold on. Do you know my connection to this? What? How I was, I was in, so I came back to San Jose, that's where I'm from, San Ho, represent. And I went to visit my friend Lydia in San Francisco that night. Mm-hmm. And we watched fireworks from her rooftop at her apartment in the Haight. I was young. I don't even remember. I was like 19, 20 uh or 18 even and i took the bart back to fremont that night mm-hmm. and i was on the bart train that he correct i was stalled on the tracks and i didn't know what was going on we were just stuck for at least 40 minutes and i had no idea so talk about close to home mm. i didn't see anything I actually didn't even hear anything because it was just a bunch of drunk people screaming and drinking on the bar train as it usually is. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't within my line of sight, but wow. Like that, that hit me the next day. Mm. Um, but anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the Walnut close- Creek. Yeah. The closeness to home. Right. So Walnut Creek for anybody who may be listening to us, who's not from California, the Bay area, it's a small suburb. 15 minutes away from the city of Oakland, 30 minutes away from San Francisco without traffic. Um, There's always traffic. Predominantly rich and white. Um, and they had a support rally for him, you know, during the trial. And what the media didn't cover, because it was what was interesting, like the media was saying things like Johannes Meserly supporters, Oscar Grant rioters, words matter. And but what they didn't report was the different dialogue that was happening between both sides where people who were supporters of Oscar Grant were giving their testimony about how the Oakland police department has had a history of brutality against people of color and particularly mm. black people. And different people gave like their testimonies around like being pulled over, being, you know, harassed, being taken over to obscure places and getting their ass beat for lack of better, better terms. And so I bring that point up again, just to show that, you know, when you're talking about the video matters, which it does, it just makes me think about how like our voices and stories matter too. But for like black people and like for people of color, like when we tell our stories, there's only so many spaces where it's really heard and it's really Mm -hmm. believed Mm -hmm. because that story isn't a story that you hear a lot, but if you were to tell it, there's going to be all types of like, well, what about this? And what about that? And we all, we also know the whole rhetoric around how every time a black person has been killed, their whole character is brought to trial, you yeah. know? So yeah. the video matters. I agree. Who was but, he? How was he? Did he I, get in trouble with the law beforehand? Was he a yeah. good father? Whatever. So I just matter that those, I just believe those stories matter too. And a person should be able to say this happened to me and report it. But that's why people don't trust the police because you, the, you you get you get harassed by the police. And you want to go make a report? What's going to happen? So, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's why you know in 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 
so you had a hand in helping to craft the listen for a change storytelling methodology um, along with Jimmy, who's also on our board and a, and a couple other folks. And like, that is the challenge that we face with storytelling in the realm of social justice on the topics that are very politically motivated or politically charged is that we have, you know, we, we work with storytellers to figure out how they can tell their stories in a way. And it sucks that the burden is on the storyteller, right? But like, we work with the storyteller to figure out how they can draw the most authentic, accessible version of their story. The, the version of their story, not the version, that's, that's a bad way to spin it because it sounds like there's different versions. Mm. But like the telling of their story, the narrative of their story, that is able to reach the intended audience. Because you're right, oftentimes it does fall on deaf ears or it falls on oppositional ears. And what, what of that? And so... I just want to remind folks with, you know, when it comes to storytelling, it's, it's important to listen to these stories, but in telling your own story, right. We, we have to think about like, who's hearing our stories and how can we, how can we begin to change that by empowering the stories of other people? Because people are more likely to listen to the stories of those who look and think like them who vote like them and so when someone on my social media feed shares a story of an experience of a person from another country that i haven't heard from i'm more likely to listen to that than if that story had been delivered to me through another method Mm. and so we have to think about how we can be that common connection how we can be that bridge and i shouldn't say we because not everyone, you know, shares that equal responsibility. But let's just think about empowering the stories of others. And I feel like that's a good place to any closing words from you, any thoughts, feelings? Yeah, no, I love that. Just, you know, and that's something I think we all can think about right now. Like, how are you for those like for you that's listening right now? How are you empowering the stories of others? And how are you giving space to listen and to advocate for others that may not get a chance to share their story. So, and then also to me also too, I feel like I think America and like it's history, which is story because history, his story, right. Mm. It needs to be our story. So we need to really start rethinking how we tell the American story. And I think that can be a one way too, because a lot of people have different versions of things and we need, to kind of name the truth behind what has really taken place that has led us to where we are. So hopefully by the time the next couple generations come, we won't be in a space of, I can't believe this is happening. (laughs) Well, should we, should we finish where we began with, with Luther Vandross? Yeah, because you know, it's, (laughs) (laughs) Well, because we were saying earlier, too, that, you know, we can't assume that everybody knows who Luther Vandross is, right? And then Ty brought no. up the point that, you know, we should do an episode on how Luther Vandross is a form of storytelling and we could talk about how he came into our lives and like that. Um, but it is the great and late, amazing African-American singer and musician's birthday today. This pivotal force... <laughs> Of just <laughs> amazing music. Who I mean, just he is just so he has a song called So Amazing. Um, 
the so impact. amazing to be loved. Yes, the impact he's made. The fact that even though he's been gone now for 16 years, because he passed away That's in 2005. Crazy. Yeah. Ty and I both never got the chance to see this legend, but we know he is shining down in the heavens above. And we are not alone in celebrating his music. And if you have not had the opportunity to be blessed by Luther. You can't say Luther. You got to say Luther. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Just a Luther Vandross. I would encourage you right now, go to Spotify, go to Apple music, go to youtube.com and youtube.com. You like how I said that that was really weird. (laughs) I know, you know, Um, people, you know, people know, look him up, look him (laughs) up. And I think right now what we should just offer everybody is like our top three Luther Vandross songs. Ooh, deep cuts, deep cuts. Okay. Mine, my, you know, it's a mix of deep cuts and not. But let me, let me have you go first. Okay, I'm just gonna go. Or we could take turns here. All right, you give one, I give one. Number three, I'm number three. Wait, yours are ranked. Mine are not going to be ranked. Okay, I'm a, I'm gonna rank them. Okay, top three. Okay, I'm gonna do a countdown. Number three, don't you know that? (laughs) Don't you know that? I bet a million dollars that you know. And um, for a fun fact, one twelve remixed that song with "Love." Oh, it. fun! Mm-hmm. I actually, I don't think I know the one twelve version, but I'm going to look it up after this. <laughs> um, you know, my number three. This is this is a popular one. I got to throw it out there, and it is probably one of his most popular songs. But I just the first verse of this song is just butter to me it is beautiful and like yeah whatever you know i'm not i've never been one to listen to lyrics and the lyrics of this song aren't that great but (laughs) here and now oh (laughs) (laughs) wait was that gonna be one of yours no, it wasn't, but you, this, I I understand because the opening could just move you like the first, like the just he jumps into the song with just such sweet Ooh. buttery soul, and that first verse is beautiful, and then the rest of the song is just kind of like schmaltzy, you know, like contemporary ballad. But it's beautiful. It's oh, beautiful. What's a- your number two? Um, and I just want to correct myself. One Twelve did not remix the song; they sampled it. Just wanna, you know, I'm getting better. There's with a, that's work. a whole it's nother different. episode. The remix versus the sample. Mm-hmm. They sampled it. A lot of people sampled um, Luther. Luther songs. That's a, yeah. that's also another episode. Right. right? <laughs> but um, I'm going to say, because this song reminds me of my favorite auntie, Diane, who passed away um, some time now. It's back in 1997. But she's one of the people who introduced me to Luther, or Luther as a young girl. And she used to play wait for love oh, all that's a good the one. time and i find myself as an adult playing that all the time it's just the the lyrics the mood the the uh the instruments and then also it's very just like if you're in a space in life where you're like dang will i be able to share that love with somebody one day it empowers you to feel like wait i already have that love within myself but i do have enough patience to know that i can't have it with somebody else because wait love. (laughs) all right i i feel like we have to like include an honorable mentions category where we just like rattle off some of the ones that didn't mark make our list because i'm having trouble with my bracket right now i know Um, yeah definitely go for your you could do that right before you do your number. Or you can do it right now. I was like, you could do well, right you know, I, I'm sounding like a basic Luther fan because I'm just <laughs> listing the ones that were actually released as big singles right now, or at least so far. Ooh, I didn't do, yeah, and whatever, right. you know, like, 
Whitney Houston's greatest hits are the ones that she released the singles, right? Like it's it's not a big yeah, hit. But okay. my number two is a song that I think I can karaoke to every single time. And then once it starts, like within the first 30 seconds, it's one of those karaoke songs. We've all done this, where you put on the song, you like cue it up at the bar, and then it starts and you just you start singing it, and then you realize very quickly, you don't know in fact, lyrics. you can't sing it. Oh yeah, or you don't know the lyrics the way you thought. You, well, yeah, or you can't keep up with it, yeah. or it's just not in your range, or your. And this is one of those like I think I've done it two times in public where I put it on. I'm like, oh, everyone's gonna feel the song. It's gonna be great, and then it comes on, and then I have to do that awkward like, oh, I think you have to skip this because I'm not gonna sing the rest of the song. I'm not gonna kill myself on stage. Yeah, but it is never too much never too much never too much never too much (laughs) right i put it on mostly because i'm like you know this seems like a song everyone can dance to and then i realize it's a really hard song to sing and it's very fast gosh i man can we talk about the singers who like sing fast mariah carey luther stevie beyonce they be rapping and singing like yeah oh yeah oh yeah all All right um, are we at your number one we're at my number one. So a couple honorable mentions that I can't name right now are like Promise Me, um, A House mm. is Not a Home. Um, definitely Never Too Much is up there with me. Stop. <sighs> Look at that video. It's so 80s. He got like the whole <laughs> outfit on. He's in the studio like, yeah. Um, those were, oh, um, Bad Boy Having a Good Time. Those are a couple of um, honorable mentions. <laughs> but if I had to go with my number one as of today, because this list does fluctuate. It is so amazing. Ooh. That, I mean, yes. can we, the, the, the opening lyric is, love has truly been so good to me. Like, and also the story behind that song, when I was watching a late night Luther um, Vandross um, documentary, he um, performed that song at um, his niece's wedding. And he mm. himself said it moved him in a different way because of the connection and love that he had for his niece. And he got teary-eyed talking about it. And it's such a beautiful love and wedding song. And the day I decide to elope and get married, whenever that may happen, I'm definitely playing that. So I just love that song. And Stevie Wonder and Beyonce, they did a remix to it, and it's hella bomb. Oh. You know, speaking of which, I so this is on my honorable mentions list, is The Closer I Get to You, in which he did duet (laughs) with... Beyonce, was this was this during the time he was alive still? Okay, love two thousand. All right, yeah. So it was like it was one of his last songs that he released, right? Um, another honorable mention. Also, I think his last main single that he released is "Dance with My Father." I know schmaltzy, whatever, but the lyrics of it get me. It is just it's so it's so personal. And I know that everyone can relate to it. And I love the fact that a male singer wrote about his father. That does not happen. That doesn't happen. Not in a way of intimacy, at least, right? Like, usually it's like in a country song where it's like, my dad taught me to grow up. But like, <laughs> dad taught me how to shoot a gun or something. Yeah, but this is like, sorry if we offended anyone with our Southern accents. But, you know, it, it, it isn't often that a male singer writes or sings about their father in a loving tender intimate way and there's something really beautiful about that um and then my final honorable mention is if only for one night which i 
I love and can listen to over Let and over again. Let me hold you. <laughs> but my number one is actually a, so as you know, Luther redid a lot of songs. Yes. Uh, like sang a lot of cover songs. Ooh, and okay. this one was originally sung by Heatwave. And it is always and forever. And I just, I love the song. I love the Heatwave version more. Sorry, Luther. But yeah, like, I love the song so much that Luther's is one of my favorites as well. And there's nothing that makes me think of Sunday night more than mm. that song. Because, you know, on the radio, they'll always play the Sunday night slow jams. Yeah. And it is always, <sighs> it always makes an appearance. So, well, all right, there you go, folks. Yeah. You have your Luther Vandross 101. I say Dross. I think it's Dross. I say Luther Vandross. I don't know. We'll have to I don't look know. This maybe, up. It's, maybe it depends on the circles. Maybe, maybe I think it is Vandross, but I say Luther and I say Vandross. Because he's <laughs> unofficial... God dad. He's my god dad. And he's he's the, oh. he's that uncle in your family. He's that uncle that's hella cool that show up to the cookout. He's also your god daddy. And he you could just I felt like I knew Luther. I yeah. Luther, Prince, and Michael were the only and Aaliyah were the only four celebrities I boohoo cried. Like mm. as if like I knew them when I heard mm. they passed away. Yeah. And isn't it isn't it Prince's anniversary? I don't know, y'all. <sighs> You'll have to look that up. I know. It's, it's April. I know that. All right. Well, loyal listeners, thank you for joining us for another episode. Um, and we're open to suggestions on yeah, things that it is. Wow. Good memory. Mm-hmm. Um, we're open to suggestions, things that you want us to talk about, issues with storytelling, aspects of storytelling, ways in which storytelling intersects with different aspects of your lives. We are here for it. We're here for you. Yeah. As always, keep listening. Keep storytelling. Aisha, any closing words? We appreciate you for rocking with us. And, you know, just keep hope alive and keep up the good fight, y'all. Peace. Yeah. And remember, at the end of the day, a story untold is simply a thought. All right. Talk to you later, everyone.